I have a question for you. How good are you at handling money? From the man who wrote the book on human behavior, a special edition, Richard Flint Podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's talk human behavior. How good are you at budgeting? Do you even know what that word means? Are you good at savings? Are you good at keeping your debt down? One of the top struggles that most people face in their life is their finances. They end their month with what today's guest calls more month than money. I heard her say this last year, and I haven't been able to get away from just that thought. More month than money. So, today, we want to focus on strengthening your financial strength. My guest is my dear friend, Robin Thompson. She's not a CPA. She's not a financial planner. She's not a banker. She's just one of those people who understands money, understands investment, and she is a master at building financial security. Robin, welcome to The Power to Be. Well, thank you, Richard. It's my honor and my pleasure to be with you and your students today. Now, you're in Ocala, Florida today, correct? in my house in Orlando today. Oh, you moved up the road. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's a beautiful day in sunny Florida, and it's a great place to be. Well, I know most of the listeners do not know who Robin Thompson is. So share with them, who is Robin Thompson? Well, let me share with them, Richard, who Robin Thompson was and then who she is, so they understand the journey. Um, I was in corporate America. I went to college at Penn State University, and uh, I was hired by a Fortune 500, IBM. And I left Penn State and started to work in corporate America, thinking I was going to climb that ladder to the top. And after nine and a half years of hard work and sweat, I was still low on the totem pole at the corporation. IBM decided to have a major downsizing, and what I thought was going to be a lifelong career came to a crashing halt real fast. They actually said one day to us, they called us all together and said, there's 503 of you here today. There'll be 275 of you left in two weeks. And the guy who came in to do all the cutting, he actually said, look to the left, look to the right. One of you won't be sitting here in this auditorium in two weeks. And so that's where rubber really met the road for me because what I wanted my whole life was just about to evaporate. And uh, on that day that the downsizing started with IBM, I had 500 bucks in my checking account, 29 and a half years left on a mortgage on a townhouse I had just bought. I had a boatload of credit card debt, lots of car payments. Uh, I had just bought a Honda Accord and had uh, 40-some payments left on the payment book. And I still had student loans not paid off from college. So here I was, an accountant at a corporate America Fortune 500, and I was just over broke. And um, the panic went through me like a shockwave because if I lose my job, I didn't even have enough to make the next mortgage payment in savings. Uh, and so I didn't know what I was going to do. So I panicked, and I went and got a part-time job as a waitress at night, and I would change from a business suit to a pair of black pants and white shirt at 5 o'clock at night, and I would wait tables at this all-night diner till 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I dumped that apron out, when I come home to my house, I would count it out and hope that there was enough to get one car payment ahead or one house payment ahead before IBM let me go. And so 
you know, I didn't know what I was going to do, and then I turned into real estate investing because my neighbors moved out one night in the middle of the night, and I started to study real estate investing, and I learned how to do real estate without needing any money, and then grew it into a massive, massive company, and I've done over 360 houses to date. And so it all started with me wrapped around the principle that you've taught me was to face what is. And when I faced what is, when IBM yanked the rug out from under me, I was in debt up over my ears, and I had way more months than I had money. And a lot of the folks that are listening to this, I'm sure, have been in that situation or may be in that situation right now, and that is a very scary place to be because it causes people to argue and fight over finances. It causes blame and distrust and and frustration and helplessness, and they don't know where to go or what to do. Uh, and I've been there, and I tell you, life is really better not being there and, and taking the baby steps to financial independence. And, you know, Richard, some people just get so frustrated thinking, I'm never going to get out of this rat race of having more months than money. And the truth of it is it starts with little baby steps in the right direction, and it begins to snowball very quickly. And then before you know it, with some really good basic foundations of principles, you can get yourself out of it very quickly and have a life of financial independence and a golden retirement. Um, and so, you know, I've been teaching these financial steps for a while, and I think it's really important for people to put that kind of stuff into their life because you really don't want to be worried about finances your whole life. Um, it's not a trap you have to be uh, caught in forever and ever, for sure. Robin, you said uh – you know, there was fear building up inside of you whenever you heard IBM say that some of you are not going to be here. Look to your right, look to your left. Yep. Did that fear play with you in, in any way? Because I find with most people that when they get in that fear, they tend to retreat. Yes, they panic. Yep. It can be very, very paralyzing. And Richard, I didn't, I knew one thing. I asked myself the question, you've got to do something. What could you do to earn even a little bit of money to make it better? Uh, I, you know, I didn't want a part-time job. Um, I went and got a part-time job, and I looked at the part-time job as replacing my full-time job, hopefully. What I can tell you where the turning point was for me is I sat down panic-struck, and I said, okay, you, in order to overcome any fear, you have to Look at what the fear is that's really causing you to be paralyzed and then ask, how do I get beyond it? Well, for me, it was the fear of the unknown. If, if I lose my job, then what? What am I going to do? You know, because accounting at IBM is all I ever wanted my whole life. You know, looking at a career change is a scary position, especially when you're a single person and there's no other income coming in the household. And so... What I did is I said, how can I make some immediate extra money and take the extra money and start getting rid of some of this debt load? So I sat down at my kitchen table, and I had a meeting of the minds that day, which is where the whole, my whole life changed. I sat down and I said, okay, you have to face what is. And I sat down with a yellow tablet, and I wrote down every single penny I spend money on in a given month. And I think a lot of folks, Richard, don't understand how much they really spend. I mean, especially with the folks that have kids, they're really expensive. If they have dance lessons or cheerleading lessons or they want to go on a field trip, those expenses have to be planned for. And so when I sat down and I wrote it all out, what I was spending money on for groceries and gas and cell phone and Internet and all this stuff, and, and I was just absolutely flabbergasted when I found out I had $1,500 a month more going out than I had coming in. Well, on a $42,000-a-year salary, that's a big outgo. <laughs> it's not coming in. 
And so I had to figure out a way to make that $1,500 extra a month somehow. Otherwise, there was never, ever going to be able to stop the financial drain that was in my life. You know, a couple of years ago, we did a, a joint conference for couples. Yeah. And, and I will never forget uh, one of the exercises you did with those couples that was just like eye-opening to the couples that were there. Share that experience. Well, one of the things that you made me do is to ask them about a budget. So what the exercise was is as soon as you put me on stage, I said, okay, the husbands and wives need to separate and get on opposite ends of the room, separate from your loved one. And then I passed out a budget that was blank, but it had all the categories that a human could ever spend money on. And I made each person individually alone fill out what they think they spend a month on food and groceries and gas and school clothes and birthday presents and all those things. And um, then what I did is I put the couples back together and said, okay, let's compare the bottom line of the monthly expenses of what you really spend in your household. And what the shocking factor was for most folks is we had 46 couples at that event, and we had 23 that were off by more than $1,400 a month on what one person thought the family spent versus what the other person thought the family spent. And we actually had one couple that was off by $4,600 a month. And And you could just see the facial expressions (laughs) of the financial drain. I mean, you and I were kind of looking across the audience, and they were mortified. And it was the first time in their life that they actually faced what is. What do we really spend a month? And some of them were very shocked when they added it all up to what that number really was. And what happens in a family if if each partner, because, you know, in most families and most relationships, we, we uh, give one person the responsibility to uh-huh. handle the finances. And then the other person doesn't really understand the financial picture. They just want to know that there's money in the bank or money for them to do what they want to do. And what, what happens when there's not those conversations where they talk about the financial situation of their relationship? Well, Richard, what happens is if there's more month than money, what happens is one person who just keeps throwing the money in and say, okay, we're good, right? And they ignore it. What happens is when they do finally face the fact there's not enough to go around, that's usually where the blame game starts. Well, how come you didn't tell me we were in financial distress? How come this is not enough money? Where is it all going? You know, you know how can this be happening to us that the credit card debts have mounted up to thousands and thousands of dollars? And what it is is really they have done a non-confront. You know, it, I don't think it's fair for partners to throw it all on one one's responsibility and the other one gets to ignore it. And so in order to avoid all that conflict and the confusion, there needs to be a clear meeting of the minds. This is what's coming in. This is what's going out. And how, as a an agreement, a family team, do we stop wasting money and start saving money? And so the financials have to be a meeting, an agreement, a meeting that happens once a month. And it can't be put off. It can't be a non-confront. It needs to be an agreement that happens on the same night of the same day every month where that budget is reviewed for what they thought it was going to cost versus what they actually spent and what does next month look like. And I don't think... 
probably 99% of the population has that kind of meeting or agreement or knowledge where they both understand the expenses of the household. Do you think that money is something that we just have this fear of talking about? Yes, because I think what happens, honestly, Richard, is the person that's working really, really hard, they hand it over to someone and say, okay, you handle the finances, I'll go out and make it. And if it's not enough to go around, I think the person that's responsible to pay all the bills doesn't want to make the person working really hard feel bad that there's not enough. So what they try to do is juggle it on credit. Well, okay, well, we'll only pay the minimum on this credit card this month. And, oh, no, Christmas is coming. we still got to have Christmas presents, so they charge up another card. And they don't want to make the person that's working really hard feel bad that there's not enough to go around. And so they just keep hiding it and hiding it until it absolutely explodes. And And let me give you an example. I have a good friend of mine who's a doctor. She works really, really hard. All night shifts and on call. She delivers premature babies as her specialty. And what happened is she lets the husband handle all the bills. Well, when they're finally it exploded, she found out there's $160,000 worth of credit card debt because there's been more months and money going on for a long time. And he didn't want to say anything because she's got enough stress at work. And so now they're looking at it that she's never going to be able to retire, and they're faced with all these cards maxed up to the, to the top limit, and the interest rates are astronomical in the 18 to 22% range, and they can't see any way out of how to fix it. And so that financial pressure, that financial stress could roll over to her business, you know, because God forbid she makes a mistake in the delivery room. And that's what I think a lot of folks don't understand. When there's financial distress in a business room, it also affects the family room. It affects you in your personal room. And it's really hard to have time off to recharge your batteries when you're so scared that you don't know how you're going to straighten this out. And, Robin, credit card companies love people who just make the minimum payments, correct? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Your mailbox will be stuffed with applications. So... What can happen? Well, the number one cause of divorce in today's world is finance. Um, and, it's, you know, and when you go through a recessionary time, the divorce rate goes up. It's not an accident. Um, that's the number one thing couples battle about. And it's interesting, Robin, because, you know, if we go back 10 years ago uh, in the list of the top 10 things that really cause couples to dissolve their relationship, uh, the number one was the concept of a lack of communication. And then over the past few years, as you were talking about it, you know, finances has creeped up to number one, and then communication has dropped to number two. And the financial pressure that's on people today has got to be almost overwhelming for most people. Oh, yes, absolutely. I would agree to that. But there is hope, you know, to fix the situation. I mean, Richard, I was a classic case of this. And uh, I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps and face what is. And that was a budget. I mean, when I sat down and actually wrote out everything I spent money on, I could see places where I could cut my spending to get month and money to become equal. Robin, let me interrupt you here for just one second, because we're using a word, and I'm not sure that everybody really understands what it is. What is a budget? A budget is a list, Richard, of every single thing that you spend money on. And most people think they have a budget. 
but they don't. And the reason I say that is because they don't have all the extra things in there. They'll put in their mortgage and their car payment. They may put in gas and food, but what they don't put in there is going out to the movies, um, the ch- kids having a field trip, school clothes for their children to start school, Christmas presents, all the birthday presents, anniversary presents, all those things that just creep up. And so what happens is because that stuff is not in a budget, it goes on a credit card. And it's like they don't have to pay for it. And so what I realized is, you know, I want to still go to the movies. I, I want to send kids on a field trip. I want to have new clothes. That stuff has to be budgeted, and how much that I spend on it has to be a concrete number. What I see is most families just go to the mall, and they go crazy, and they're shopping and shopping because it feels good for the minute. You know, whatever's not good, they're having a fight with their spouse or their kids aren't doing well in school, whatever. Let's go to the mall, buy a bunch of stuff, and it feels good for now. But that feel-good-for-now addiction grabs them by the seat of the pants later. So when I sat down and I wrote out everything, food, gas, phone, and all the extras, that's how I figured out I was having more month than money. So I said, okay. What can I do to reduce some of the expense categories? Do I need all the bells and whistles on my cell phone plan? Would I rather have cut my cell phone bill by $50 and then have the extra $50 go into savings? You know, could I um, get a part-time job, make a few hundred dollars extra, and then put that all to credit card debt so that I could get one of them paid off? And then when I get one of them paid off, what I was spending on the one I got paid off, I could add that to the next one. Um, You know, I started doing real estate and found ways to do real estate with little or no money. And all the extra money I would make when I sold a house, that went to pay a credit card off. Now, some people get yearly bonuses. I used to at IBM. So instead of planning a vacation for the $3,000 I get for my bonus, that went to paying Uncle Visa off. And so once I had the list complete and I knew what I was spending every month, It became a game to figure out ways to get month and money to become equal and then to get money ahead of month and start to save. So are you talking about to save a little bit, Richard, a hundred dollars a month, it felt good. The addiction of spending went away because the addiction to savings took its place. But what if what if the person feels now, and, and we, we'll have people out there who will feel this way, well, what she's telling me I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to sacrifice my lifestyle. I would want them to ask a better question. I would counter that with a question. Is it worth sacrificing lifestyle now so that you know your golden years will truly be golden? But do you think most people actually think about retirement? No. Until, not until they get there and they wake up. And then there's not enough years to plan for it. And see, Richard, that again is a non-confront. That's because they don't sit down once a month and have a discussion about these kind of things. And that's where conflict can enter again is because maybe one spouse is thinking about it and the other one wants to avoid it, and there's a friction about it. And that's why a budget means you know everything that the family is spending money on, but you also have a plan for retirement. Because in my budget, savings is a number that's in there just like food. And I don't think most people do that. Savings for me is required just like I have to eat. And so what happens is once you start the ball rolling in the right direction, then it's okay to start planning long-term. But if you never sit down and have a meeting of the minds, 
it's just going to be a circle of sameness. And the meeting should be also every month filled with rewards when you do hit a goal. And so for me, I would think if you end up finally saving the first $300 and you've never had anything in savings before, there should be something special for that. And I don't mean spending that money. I mean, go take a picnic together. Do things that don't require a lot of money. Go to the park, that kind of stuff. And it needs to be fun because what happens is if you switch it to you're really excited that you're hitting goals that you've never set before and you're starting to be financially mature than everybody else around you instead of you having the doodads that everybody has around you, what you realize is you're raising the caliber of growth and who you are. What about something that uh, I see that I want that's outside the budget? It's not in the budget. What I do, Richard, when that happens to me, I say, okay, let me go home and think about it for 48 hours, and if I can still figure out a way to pay for it, then I can have it. And so what I do on something like that is I come back home and I go, I would really want that. I don't really need that. But if there's a way I can figure out how to make three times the money that thing would cost me more in my income number, then I can have it. Why three times? Well, if you make $500, let's say, you're going to pay income tax on that. So by the time that they take the taxes out, you're down to two-thirds of it. And then if you really hit your goals that you stretch and you may double what the doodad costs, take the other third and put it into savings. So now you went ahead and put extra money into savings, so now you're allowed to have that. So what happens is it starts you constantly paying money games with yourself. So let me give you an example. Let's say I want a new Mercedes. Let's say the old car I got that's eight years old still runs fine like the day I bought it. I'm not telling people you can never have a new Mercedes. What I'm telling them is figure out a way to go make twice or three times what the Mercedes costs and then give yourself permission to have it. Because what happens is your mind expands to fill the questions you ask it. And so I could go do two or three houses, buy them and fix them and sell them, and then I could make two or three times what the Mercedes cost me, and then I give myself permission to have it. So what happens is I feel even better about it because I didn't violate my goals. They weren't promises that I just threw to the curb. I honored my word that I stuck to the numbers in my budget, and I realized I can stretch my income earning potential. Okay, but let's bring this down a little bit. What if I don't have a real estate career I can fall on? I've got my job. I'm mm-hmm. 40 hours a week here. Uh, maybe my spouse works. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't have this outside source that I can run over here and dump myself into and mm-hmm. you know make extra money. Maybe, Richard, what they need to do when they go out for groceries instead of buying steaks at $9.99 a pound, they don't eat quite as extravagantly a few times. Let's say it's, it's a $300 purse they want. So maybe what they have to do is say, okay, over the next three months, I need to trim $100 from the food budget by cutting coupons and not buying the most expensive of everything at the store. And if I can do that, then I can have the doodad. Or let's say their cable bill's got all the HBOs and movie channels and all these other things on it, you know, all the 500 stations, and let's say the cable bill is $120, maybe what they do is cut it back to the $59 package and say, okay, I'm going to cut the cable down. We're not watching it that much anyway. TV's a lot of negativity. So let me take what I was spending on cable, and then I can use it towards 
the doodad, and some more savings. So what you're talking about is rather than thinking about this, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to make some major sacrifices. It's changing the picture from sacrifice to here are the adjustments we need to make in order to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And let me give you an example. Like with people that are carrying credit card debt, they don't really look at what the rates are. And there are times where you can move from one credit card at 12.99% over to another one that the interest is 6.99. Those kind of savings, just shifting that stuff around, Richard, are thousands and thousands of dollars. So if you switch from a 12.99 card to a 6.99 card and you're saving $100 a month, take 50 of that and put it to savings. And then if you want to take the 50 to reward yourself, I'm not going to say no. But what I can tell you, what happens is once you start putting that foot in the right direction, you go, well, I don't need that fancy new purse. I'd rather just have the $300 in my bank account because then if a rainy day ever comes, I know I'm prepared. See, what happens is when somebody starts with reserves, and I didn't have any, so for me to get 50 or or $100 in a savings account was a big deal for me back then. What I can tell you, once you end up getting 50 or or 100 in there, then, then you get addicted and go, okay, how do I make it 200 Okay, now there's 200 How do I make it 400 Once you get that little snowball starting, your mind starts working in the right direction. How could I add to that? And what happens is all the stuff that we waste money on, the $4.50 latte, um, that we don't think anything about, 30 days out of the month. All those kind of things start dribbling into savings, and before you know it, there's thousands and thousands of dollars that are in there. And what happens is when the financial pressure releases and you don't have more month than money, you start to hug yourself, your self-worth gets better, your self-esteem is better, you start looking for a higher-paying job. It all comes with time, but it's you've got to take little steps in the right direction. So what you're talking every what, family can. Yeah, what you're talking about is stop living in the moment and start preparing your life for the future. Right, and the only way to do that is face what is with a budget, and yeah. that has to have everything in it. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because you and I both deal with people at this level, but it's so much easier to adjust upward than uh-huh. it is to adjust downward. Yep. And most people, when they look at something like this, you know, as much as we can talk about it, it's like, you know what, I'm going to have to give up the lifestyle that I have. And I like this lifestyle that I have. You know, Richard, I have to say it. I like my lifestyle, too, but I really would prefer not having to worry that if I got sick that I can't pay my bills ever. I mean, there's a lot of peace and calmness inside somebody when you know financially you're okay now. Hey, but I'm going to have Social Security. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> I'm not planning on it being there. <laughs> the other thing is I, I planned on IBM taking care of me, and I was going to put my 30 years in. I have to say this to you. When I left after nine and a half years, they handed me a check for $4,700 for my retirement. And I looked at my manager and said, there's a zero missing on this. I've done nine and a half years with you. And I, after they said, no, that's right, $4,700 is what you've earned for your retirement after nine and a half years, I said to myself, thank goodness I didn't stay for 30. What about the unpredictable? All of a sudden, we got to have a new roof put on the house. Air conditioner went out. How do we prepare for what people call the rainy day? Well, see, Richard, that's why if they start facing what is and start socking a little bit to savings and a little bit more to savings, when a catastrophe comes up, it comes out of the reserve bucket. You know, wealthy people do things very differently than, than the broke. 
wealthy people save ahead for some predictable expense like that before it happens. That's why if somebody can put $50 a month away in a savings and forget they have it and not go on and sticking their fingers in there, when a rainy day happens, the money is there. Yeah, but how challenging is it not to stick your finger into it because you know that money is sitting there? I know, Richard, that is discipline. That is absolute discipline. Here's what I did. I went and got a, one of those old passbook saving accounts, and I started putting the money in there, and I wouldn't even look at the statement when it came every month because I knew if I kept looking at how much was in there, I could come up with 50 reasons why I could stick my fingers in there. And, you know, a couple times I went in there and I took it out, and then I felt really bad I did it. So once I got it back in there, I realized, look, you can't even go there. If you go snooping in there and seeing how much you have, you're going to go in there and, and get in there and get it. And I guess what really woke me up is when my dad got cancer. So what happened, Richard, is I had started putting 50 bucks a month away in my reserve bucket. And then I got to the point where it snowballed to 100 And so I started to build up, build up reserve, and I had a couple thousand dollars saved up. And what happened is something came along, and I wanted it. And so I went in there, and I emptied the account out, figuring, oh, I can just put it back because I know how to make $100 extra a month. Well, what happened is I took it out and spent it, and then I got the phone call my dad had cancer. And from the time they diagnosed him till the time that he was going to be on the operating table was literally three or four days. Now, I had used up all my vacation at IBM. I didn't have any time that I could take off, and I couldn't afford to take a week off unpaid to be by his bedside while they removed part of his colon and part of his kidney, one of his kidneys. And I'll never forget sitting at IBM at my desk in tears, not knowing if my dad was dead on the operating table or not, because I couldn't afford to take a week off unpaid because I had nothing in savings. And my credit cards were maxed. I was so mad because I had that money that I had tucked away, and then I blew it. And I made myself a solemn promise that never, ever again would I not be able to be by my family's side if something bad happened. Because a curveball can hit a family any day. I don't care who you are. You can have some bad thing come along and wipe you out real quick. And so when I put the money back, I kept growing that reserves ever since, and I've never went there to touch it. And my dad had cancer three times before he died. What I can tell you, I got my reserves built up that I could afford for me and my family to stay with him as long as we need it. Because you never know when you're going to need the money. And it's way easier to save it and make it before the tragedy hits than in the middle of the crisis. But you're talking about planning, Robin. And yep. what I have found over the years is that most people don't plan. They exist in the moment that they have. So mm -hmm. does that affect the whole psychology of, of savings? You know, yeah. I've got plenty of life in front of me. I'm going to make plenty of money. I have plenty of time to put it away. Well, it does. But, Richard, I think they need to face that a curveball could hit the family at any time. I don't care how old or how young you are. And say, okay. This is where we have to draw a line in the sand that we're going to grow up financially and be mature, grown-up adults, my favorite term, and say, okay, this family is going to take a step every month in the right direction. And in order to do that, we have to meet once a month, and it has to be the whole family has to be involved. The kids have to be in this, too, because they should all have an allowance. Everybody should have an allowance where they have money that they can go buy what they want or go to the movies, do whatever they want. And that has to be in the budget. And I think the next month when the family comes back to the financial meeting, that there needs to be rewards for those that have hit the numbers. If you missed your number, why did you do it, and how do we not have this happen again? 
because it has to be taken seriously by all family members, and it has to be a team decision and a team effort to get to where the family wants to be. Well, one of the things that I believe in, and this is what I see because it affects all parts of our life, but for there to be harmony, for there to be a plan to go forward, there has to be a commitment to three things. There has to be commitment to a purpose. Why are we doing this? There has to be a commitment to agenda. Here's how we're going to do it. And then there has to be a commitment to the process that this is not chatter. This is something we're going to make happen. And what I sense and see that you're talking about are, are, are really the combination of two words, being willing to make the adjustments and at the same time being disciplined enough to be consistent with the adjustments that we're making. Exactly. And, Richard, I think it's also being aware if you don't do it or if all team members don't participate, what happens? I mean, one of the things you taught me a long time ago is behavior is very predictable. And so what happens if one of the team members doesn't adhere to the budget, the other one is disappointed. Disappointment, as we all know, can lead to hurt. So, hey, here I am trying to save as much as I can to make sure the family's financially secure, and you're out spending it. What happens is disappointment goes to hurt. And then hurt goes to anger, and anger can lead to rage. And that's why when one spouse doesn't take the financial commitment serious and the other party wants to improve, what happens is it can really get ugly. And nobody wants that. The harmony has to be there, and that means there has to be a blending of two people that they come up with a, an agreement where they both agree to where the family's headed financially and why. And the kids have to be brought on board so they understand the commitment, too. But do you think most families are that disciplined, Robin? No. Most of them, Richard, do the non-confront and just say, ah, we'll talk about it maybe next month. And what happens is they charge some more money on the credit cards and then it racks up. Where it comes to confrontation is when it's so bad there's no more credit to get. And then it becomes an explosion. And that's what happened with my friend. She just absolutely could not believe there was $160,000 worth of credit card debt. She had no idea. And the stress that somebody goes under when you find out that financially you are upside down when you've been working your tail off is not anything that's pretty. Now to dig herself out is 10 years of being 100% disciplined and focused to eliminate all that credit card debt. Well, and, you know, and, and we know that anger can really create a rift between people. And so many times in the counseling room, I would have couples in front of me and a lot of the anger would go to what they didn't talk about. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you share with me? Why does this come as a surprise to me? And if they understand that in a relationship or in life, everything sort of attaches to each other. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we don't talk and we don't, you know, have communication about what we need to talk about, at some point that will create an explosion. Yep. And when that explosion happens, that, that's where all of a sudden you got this frustration that turns to disappointment. Now there's hurt involved, and now I'm angry at you. And when I'm angry at you, we're not going to communicate. Nope. And that's where people say things they really don't mean, and you can't take it back, and that's where permanent damage is done between spouses, and it can't be reversed. 
Yeah. And you and I both know with divorce how it impacts children and scars the whole family. That's why this confrontation, this budget, has to happen before you ever get there. Because if you face what is early, disappointment's where it stops. And you're taking the right actions, the baby steps in the right direction to slowly start to gain financial independence. And it takes a while to get there, but steps in the right direction will pick that snowball up and move forward. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening, there's a process here that Robin is talking about. And it's one that she and I have talked about again and again over the years. And step number one is face what is. What you don't face, you can't understand. Step number two is then redesign what it is that you're facing. You can face it and never do anything about it. It just creates greater confusion. So you got to face it, and then you got to redesign it. And then step three is you got to strengthen the things you know you need to do. You got to be disciplined to do it. And then step number four, you got to support each other in the decisions that are being made. Because, you know, you've seen this with couples that have been in, in your boot camps and in your programs where one wants the world of real estate investing, the other one doesn't. And if they're not in harmony, if they're not committed to doing the same thing, there's not going to be a forward journey of success. Exactly. Any person in order to grow financially richer needs cheerleaders around them that says, yes, we can do this, not no, we can't. And it doesn't do any good for one spouse to be saving and saving and improving, and then the other one goes and has a Saturday at the mall and wipes out financially what that person has put in the right direction. So what does it take for people not to react to what they need to do, but to respond to it? I would say any purchasing decision that's outside the budget needs to be postponed for at least 48 to 72 hours and let the emotion go away. Because what happens is logic enters the buying decision. And if you pause and don't purchase on emotion, what happens, Richard, is they can say, do we really need to buy that? Or would we rather leave the money in reserves? But, Robin, I, I, I was in this store the other day, and I saw this beautiful dress, and it was on sale. And you know what? I, I just I couldn't control myself. I knew that if I didn't, someone else was going to buy it, and I was going to come back, and it wouldn't be there. Good. <laughs> I would tell you, Richard, again, anything, it's not in the budget. It needs to be a pause. And that takes discipline. There is no doubt. What happens is once you have the budget in place and if you, if you slip and you buy it, what happens is, oh, no, I want to take it back. Because you have to ask yourself, do you really need it? But, Robin, and, I was in Home Depot, and, and, you know, I've been wanting this, this, this power tool. And you know what? It was on sale for 30% off. And I've well, never seen this on sale before. And you know what? I just couldn't resist getting it because it's something I've talked about wanting. Well, Here's what I would tell them. Pause and then ask, what is your partner going to say if you break the budget? Because, see, to me, Richard, the budget is a, an agreed-upon contract between two people and the children. It's an agreement in writing. Are you really, really willing to break an agreement? I'm not, because I don't want to disappoint the other person that's committed. The family is on a journey forward. I don't need that power tool that bad to break an agreement of where we are going financially to be stable. So if I have another person in my life, how I have to train myself to think, and this is not always easy, is I got to take the singular pronouns out 
mm-hmm. and replace them with the plural pronouns. Yes, and if you break the agreement, then you have given everybody in this this team commitment, and I, they're out that they can break the agreement too. So is this where trust comes in? Yep. And, you know, Richard, people need to slow down the pace and ask themselves serious questions in their alone time. I mean, one of the most powerful things you ever taught me is to spend an hour alone several times a week. When you're alone, you ask yourself, do I want the tool at Home Depot or do I want to have savings so if I lose my job, we won't lose the house? Do I want to have the power tool or do I want to leave that $39 in the children's college fund? Do I really want my kids coming out and being in debt 15 years to go to college or do I want to leave that $40 there to help them? And they need to ask those serious questions in their alone time about where their family needs to grow financially. What happens with me is I know if I buy that doodad, I'm going to feel good for about 10 minutes, and I'll be so proud carrying it home from the store. But then I've still got all the worries. How am I paying for college tuition? How am I paying for groceries? Oh, my goodness, if IBM cuts my job out, how are we going to survive for six months till I find a new, new job? So I think about what would happen if I keep spending money on all those things. Do I want the things or do I want the security? If I lose my job, I know I'm good for six months. So you're talking about respecting the other people in your life. Exactly. I care more about the people around me that if they need it for a rainy day, we have it, than me getting a feel-good moment for the the next 10 minutes. But boy, I tell you one something, Robin, what you're talking about goes against everything that society wants for us now because... We're in this instant society. Don't worry about the future right now. Right. And, I mean, we're constantly bombarded by marketing to buy, buy, buy. I mean, that's all that's on the TV. But, Richard, here's what I want everybody to understand. I know how scared, how frightened, how confused, how worried all the time I was about money. I hated the mailman. He'd come up the door, and I would know there's bills that are put in my mailbox that I don't know how I'm going to pay. Where I stand today, I don't care what the mailman brings. I can afford it. Because I've taken those baby steps along the way that became big steps that have built my reserves up. I can tell you there's such calmness, such clarity, such lack of confusion when you know you're not going to struggle with more month and money. What happens is there isn't fighting. There isn't arguments about money. If the tire blows out on the car, it's not life-threatening that it needs to be war. It's way better to have the calmness and clarity than to live in a world of fear because you can't figure out where the next bill is going to get paid from. I, tell you but I can tell you the journey along the way became very fun. It built my self-worth, my self-esteem, and it gave me the belief that I could achieve many more things because I was taking the baby steps in the right direction to get my life in order. Robin, I can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate you spending this time. I mean, I hope you all understand the strength of that little statement. It's and, a choice. Yeah. And, and, and Robin... Uh, if people want to learn more about you, do you have a website they could go to? Absolutely, Richard. My name is uh, my website. We try to keep it as simple as possible, and it's robinthompson.com. And it's R-O-B-Y-N, and the last name is T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And then also they could check out my Wealth Savvy Club, and that is there for to help students on this journey of becoming wealth savvy. <laughs> <laughs> 